1998, I founded the Kalamazoo Poetry Slam. I did it because I had a few talented friends who needed a place to take their art to the next level. And because I knew there had to be more voices out there waiting to be heard. And because I wanted to go to an open mic where at least two out of three poems didn't suck. My name is Tracy Smith, and this is the KZU Slamcast. This is Slam Later, like, the poems are like, you dirty fucking whore. But this is one of the good ones from the beginning. My ears reach the suburban noise of night. There's a question asked in one limited moment that never crossed into the I am the Smith. I am the poet. I am the Industrial Revolution. No longer bright as fireflies. This week's Keizu Poetry Slam cast was recorded on. Fuck, I don't know when it was recorded on. Sometime in 2001 or 2002, judging on who's hosting and who's performing. I know I recorded two discs on this night. The first half, of course, would have been uh, the open mic and part of the slam. The second half would have been the second half of the slam. And the bulk of the feature, uh, but that second disc is missing. So I'm sorry about that. If anyone out there knows where it got to, and you find it, and by knows where it got to, I mean you used to live in my house, or sleep with someone who lived in my house, and you might have it in a shoebox in the back of your closet somewhere. Hey, if you find it, let me know. That'd be great. That'd be great. That'd be fucking great. Because the feature of the show was the very talented Mr. Roger Bonaregard, who is quite possibly the sexiest slam poet to ever walk and talk. And I say that because I have never met a woman, my wife included, who didn't momentarily forget I was in the room when this guy started performing. And I get it. It's fine. My panties get a little moist, too. Anyway, the hosts for this show are Don Saylor and James Dixon. You're not going to hear a lot of them doing the hosting because uh, I was in the soundboard for this, pausing in between to try and catch every little bit of poetry that I possibly could. But you are going to hear Don do a poem. You're going to hear some poetry from Drac. You're going to hear you're going to hear some good shit. Enjoy. <laughs> What's up, Kalamazoo? All right. Sample poem. She is 5'11 in stilettos and 180 pounds. She wears yellow and royal blue spandex down one leg. On the other, a batty rider. Cut off fleshy ass, exposed at its lowest corner, and rounding into excellence, this is how the ghetto loves us back. The matching top is a bikini. Everything else falls into place. Nose ring, attitude, gum popping, lips and nostrils flared, blue and yellow painted toenails to remind us this is no accident. Women turn young children's faces into their ugly pastel skirts, lift their carefully coiffed heads and sniff the air for judgment. Older men shake their heads in public disapproval or to hide the beginning of their own erections. Young girls look on in awe, equal parts amazement, envy, and I want to be like her when I grow up at the obvious mystic power of the high, jiggling ass. The atmosphere is of a festive ridicule. The most honest among us, the jobless and the laborers, hoot and holler at each other from stoops and corners, shout at each other through windows high above the streets, utter general and public, God damn! And she ignores them all, except to one stop and fix her hair while exaggeratedly cocking the generous hips to one side. None of us able to get what we think is her stench off our hands. Can't cast our gazes away from her as the stench grows stronger rather than subsides. This ghetto scent accentuated in the noonday heat. Sweating up our palms, no less her pimps and molesters, no less her rapists than whatever scarred the black back of the exposed left thigh, than whatever strewed the crack vials crunching underneath her heels, than whatever convinces her to readjust the halter every 30 seconds. 
She fades into the bright white distance and into our imaginations, past the grade schoolers jumping rope and cussing in front of the Shiloh Baptist Church of the Redeemer, past the corner where Shaquan's 13-year-old blood muddied up the sidewalk, past the four hairdressing salons, the three takeout Chinese food restaurants, and the two liquor stores jeweled with bulletproof glass. And the stench is still with us. Thicker now than ever, a nuclear mushroom cloud that niggas be thinking is rain. And this is just how the neighborhood smells. Like gunmetal, and acid, and struggle, and crabs in a barrel, and struggle, and police cars, and girls aspiring to video hairdos, and struggle, and gym shoes, and struggle, and gentrification, and the armpits of a racist mayor, and struggle, and struggle, and struggle. And this is how it smells now that we prove how much we don't love the ghetto. This is how it smells, this is how it feels, this is how it tastes, this is how the ghetto loves us back. So I promise there's more of him, all right? All right, I know y'all are out there, dude. Come on. All right, I have the bucket of doom. All right, this is part of a set of poems about Kalamazoo. She crouches in Kalamazoo's gravel shadows and tosses pebbles at his dirty shoelaces. Visions ooze in and out through her basement walls, scratchy and pleasant, muffled like drunken radio noise. She dreams of climbing up there, Kalamazoo, rusty cannon smokestacks shooting star darts towards the sky, rippling, it seems, those white lint ball stars and the moon like pale flesh beneath ripped corduroys. She just wants to scrape rust from the paper mill into spice bottles and call it cinnamon. The I-94 median curves to pierce Kalamazoo's belly button like an old concrete safety pin. There's something about this city, like the sun hitting the bricks in the evening. It makes her want to cremate Kalamazoo in cigarette papers and hurl its ashes from her car window still burning. What's going on, Kalamazoo? It's been a minute since I did this one, so bear with any whatever happens. Tragedy sees this soul and flesh in unrest. I want to see the young and old blessed. I consume nothing in excess, and I'm just the opponents of two opposing modes yearning to deliberatingly coalesce. I build stairways whose steps are supports of truth, unity, and the feeling soon to be known as freedom, but I struggle to climb myself. I snort lines of rhymes when I struggle to find myself and struggle to find that unlocking key to freedom's not king but queendom's gate. I struggle reconciling wanting to see an evil entity's fate. The word's decree takes form in the universe, the one verse I've heard mobs sing. Lord, it's so hard living this life of constant struggle each and every day. Some wonder why I'd rather die than to continue living this way. Many are blind and cannot find the truth cause no one seems to really know. But I won't accept that this is how it's gonna be. Devil, you got to let me and my people go. Cause I wanna be free, completely free. Lord, won't you please come and save me? I wanna be free, totally free. I'm not gonna let this world worry me. 
I'm not gonna let this world worry me into the abyss of another poem. Into the abyss of another poem whose words describe the walls of suppression oppressed people's once called home. I once called home and heard such a loving reply that birds of paradise for the first time recognized and uprooted out the sky to flock towards the block where I reside in non-silent meditation. I breathe in with chest heaving what goes on far beyond the limits of my street corners light and exhale wail so loud cats be calling me a ghetto's banshee. To fallen ancestors my age, I say ashe and pour peace like liquor out the brown bag of a hidden soul sustenance that never wanted to be royally crowned. But I remember once paying dollars and cents for bottles of nonsense that made you wince if you drank too much in one liver saturating stint. I remember hearing post-traumatic post-traumatic war cries of redemption. I remember that this period of violent retaliation needs a period of detention. So to the teachings of the I and I and me and we, I now pay attention and heard the power of the people in me mention that ascension only comes to those who lift others up with them. Prophets in prisons whose names I do and don't know lift others up with them. Single caring mothers whose names I do and don't know lift others up with them. Words in a cipher's free flow I spit and never heard lift others up with them. But on very shallow waters of strength I'm sometimes drifting. So I listen at length to this black star's knowledge itself to find upliftment. Sifting through the drowning sounds of the belly of the beat I found only little more than skin deep is that pool of self-determination many dread treading and let alone seek to drink. And yes, biblical stories tell that the first shall be the last to be taken, which is my true excuse for procrastinating. But if I refuse to do so now, if we refuse to do so now, when then will we awaken and dive into striving for enlivening our minds, bodies, and spirits? Hi. Panacea. What do you see when you look over your shoulder? Donovan says it's the season of the witch, but all I can think about are the terrorists watching 2020. Eight or nine hours later, getting better ideas than they had thought of. We love our live feed, always turning up the dial for speed. Our cut mouths exhale forcefully like factory clock whistles, you know, like in those cartoons of wolves acting like people going to work. It's hard to wonder where we didn't go, predisposed, absorbing, absorbing the noxious flow of world citizens running marathons, methodically chasing after their own actions, faults, guilts, loves, gods, prides, their decision vacants of karmic rippling inquiries, but that seems stupid. We don't think, just acting like Hollywood prodigies, but you weren't receiving any royalties for your brilliant performance. The settlement checks in the mail stuck with a mailman's gum to your 1040 easy telephile life. Have you ever noticed how newspapers linger? They lay around the house until you take them to the garage to recycle or just end up throwing them out. Sometimes when I pick up one of those papers, I feel like a bourgeois-headed, bohemian-tongued hermit receiving letters postmarked multiply. My house becomes an attention deficit disorder diagnosed library, <laughs> trading stock too often for anyone to think it worthwhile to visit. Instead, our museum, instead our museum exhibits offer art. 365 televisions. Sorry, that's a Freudian slip. I think. <laughs> 365 televisions blaring silent newscasts. I say, you can't believe everything you see. I mean, believe everything you see. Yeah, do that. Our Western mind is defined ostensibly. Look, right here. We're America, goddammit. So take your, bug <laughs> take your big brother back to the YMCA, then volunteer for Greenpeace. End up on a train in India, wiping your ass with your hand and hammering nails into a tree trunk so when the chainsaw blade hits them, they grab it, firing like a bullet into Chief Joseph's safety glasses, the ones outlined in the company's 401k plan. Ugh. Yay, Josh, was that your first time here? Hey, yay, it was Josh's first time. Everybody clap really loud for first times. Woo! This is an old piece, but uh, 
been brought to mind lately. It's called Prometheus in Times of Plague. John Kovach, dead this 28th day of May, 1997, 8.50 a.m. Many have written of it, yet still I feel the urge to try to explain the smell of that plain room, the smell of death by disease, the smell of sweet fruit charred and then allowed to rot in still midsummer air, the smell of John dying. He became, it seemed, more liquid by the hour as fluid barriers failed, filters clogged by impure blood, water, and all the rotting wetness that once gave animation, settling, swelling. A heart too damaged by shock and infection to ever recover, pushing fiery blood through pounding veins into a brain already cooked to damage by fever. Here is the place where modern medicine's charge is broken and the bodies pile up where the best that we can hope for is to allow the patient to die as slowly as possible. What can we sacrifice today to make it through tomorrow? Gallbladder, spleen, kidneys, liver? The first thing one notices upon entering the muffled room is that to breathe through half as much lung makes twice the noise with at least four times the effort. And then I noticed the pall, the aura of desperate waiting, the desperate desire that he will recover. And soon I realized that I may be among the first three of 30 to accept what must happen, a bit too much knowledge to fool ourselves. People who should know better talk about remarkable recoveries while I glance at symptoms of organ failure, which heretofore I've only read about. And I feel a bit sick myself with frustration. I fix headaches. I know herbs and diet that help with arthritis. I have no way to cleanse and rejuvenate his liver, kidneys, stomach, heart, lungs, blood, and brain, all in a few hours. John, how did you manage to stay handsome right to the end? I'm not just saying it. Nobody has a right to stay good looking with his nails turning blue, his skin yellowing, the grim colors of hidden collapse when you tried to pull the oxygen mask off and we stopped you, still clinging to the nurse's commands, unable to admit that you knew. Then you flipped us off, John still with us, minus the power of speech with swollen tongue. Or was that bird for me more than the others? Because you found me attractive, so I heard repeatedly, and me terminally straight? Was it because I wasn't around much until it was too damned late? Or did you even recognize me when you stared into my eyes then, or was the fever in your failing vision showing you someone else? I'll never know. Damn, but we take speech, hearing, communication for absolutely granted. Here in the information age, what do we do without it? When only one word in twenty leaking from around cracked lips, limp jaw and dry mouth can have a guessed at meaning. We tell ourselves stories. Grown-ups with no excuse for optimism say, I've seen people who were worse pull out. No, not this time. He just needs to rest now. No, he needs to remain nominally conscious to concentrate on every breath, for half-capacity lungs are not self-sustaining. He must breathe while we slowly, reluctantly release our breathing. Acceptance blooming like flowering creepers or the mold in his bloodstream. John was strong. He breathed for much longer than some would have all night. Breathe in brave futility. Close off this passive suicide. Yeah, I know AIDS is a risk, but I hate condoms. I'll take my chances. It's my choice. Breathe. <sighs> I know I should be taking antivirals, but if I have to be tied to drugs every day, I'd rather somebody push me in front of a truck, you know? Breathe. <gasps> we are all here with you, John. If you need to let go now, you can. But that was only half of it, Lacey. He was waiting for us to let go, too. Breathe. <gasps> Until we accept. Breathe. <gasps> until you are spent. Breathe. 
<gasps> approaching this sad destination of yours, John, to die young, to welcome oblivion. Breathe. <gasps> Your last. Yay, Uncle Jack. Okay, because I'm hosting, I get to do a poem. No, y'all don't need to clap for me. It's okay. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't do this one very often, but I really like it. There are so many wishes traveling at speeds beyond the light that illuminates the paths we choose. We are hopeful, crossing our fingers, tossing pennies into the fountains that flow out of our secret longings. We want to believe our whispered promises and darkened bedrooms are heard by fate. We want to believe that what the future knows will wrap us in arms of security, comforting our shaking frames. We want to believe that it's going to get better on another day in another town, somewhere other than where we are now, because now is the irony of rain falling at the moment we discover love hidden behind the grandfather clock. Time ticking tricks us into thinking that we have forever. Escaping as we search for perfection's right moment, waiting for, the, waiting for the instant to unravel the meaning behind this instant, the enchantment leaving flashes of what could have been seared into our memories. Our mantra becoming what if and repeating we reply, what if failure waits patiently for insecurity to knock? What if disappointed we descend into faithlessness? What if we are mistaken? Our bodies fragile, our bones brittle. Without belief, our prayers fall silent on the frozen ground, cutting into the flesh of our fantasy. When the daydreams that tempt us are only two heartbeats away, drumming out the rhythm of our desire, what if we are chasing time, trying to capture infinity? We want the ending to introduce the beginning before we take a chance on might be, because what if it isn't? Our mind's eye needs to blink wide with the realization that we are the creators controlling our destiny. You see, I want to believe that we are the magic we crave. I want to kiss the hand of possibility and ask divinity to dance. I want to hold my wishes close so if they start to slip away, I will know. And I will paint a mural of my purest desires in the hallways where doubt pretends that happiness is impossibility. I will cover the walls of the rooms where confusion waits to distort our crystal vision, shattering hope into tiny shards. Using those fragments to mix the colors of our freedom, I will paint our chains invisible. As these liquid promises drip onto me, covering me in rainbow inspiration, my mural will en encompass my lifetime, embracing every disappointment I face, holding me up, reminding me that sometimes we all need a reason to believe. All righty then. In 1970, I learned my alphabet for the very first time, knew it by heart by 1971. A is for Africa, B is for black, C is for culture, and that's where it's at. My mother taught me that from the way you see alphabeti at a time when A was for apples in a country that grew mangoes and X was for xylophone when I was learning how to play the steel pan. Black wasn't popular or even accepted then, but I wore dashiki sent me from Nigeria. Superfly suit, sky blue, the elbow patches sent me from America, and sandals made by original Rastafari before weed and revolution needed fertilizer to grow. My mother rocked bright saffron saris. We was fat 20 years too early and a thousand miles removed. My mother preached knowledge, hard work, and how not to take shit. D is for defense, E is for economics. I wrote my first protest letter at the age of three to my grandfather for calling me in out the front yard. <laughs> Spelling fuck you with an F-O-R-K-U. <laughs> Put it under his pillow in the hope it would blow up and burn his ear off at night. Wanted to get started on this revolution thing. F is for freedom, G is for guns, we gotta get some way use, he said. Evolved into 1979 and a revolution with a changing face. Bang, bang, boogie to the boogie, say up, jump the boogie, let's rock. You don't stop. Black folks and brand names became entwined. We reinvented dance and made wheels roll with a limp. 
Cuba had just told America he was Africa in Angola. K is for kings, L is for our land. We've got to get it back. So we lost Jamaica to the IMF, Grenada to the Marines, and Panama to Nancy Reagan. Jerichos became high top fades, became Gumbies, became Caesars as Michael Jackson moonwalked his way into a lighter shade of pale. <laughs> My mother sent me to America. She said, go fix that. <laughs> Case for kidnap. S is for slavery, where you see explained. Cool became butter, became fat. We lost our focus and our way just at about the time that black folk outside the nation discovered the dangers of pork. So fatbacks became fat blacks, pigtails became dreadlocks and fades faded to bald as Michael Jordan discovered the magic of a fadeaway jumper and endorsements. X is for the nigger who's blind, deaf, and dumb. X him out where you see said. My mother told me I should rewrite that, that X is for the nigger who needs to be re-educated, that a corporate job does not spell freedom, marry white is not racist flight, a democratic vote is not a revolutionary act, and as long as there's a sweatshop in Jakarta, there's no difference between Patrick Ewing and O.J. Simpson. H is for Huey, N is for Nat Turner, T is for Tubman, M is for Marcus, Marley, Mandela, and Martin got shot two weeks after he told black folk to boycott Coca-Cola. My mother taught me to respect men who stood by their responsibilities and their convictions, men willing enough to join the fight but smart enough to survive it and see the signals. God gave no other rainbow sign, said no more water. The fire next time. J is for James Baldwin, the next time is now. And someone must learn to read the signs with me. A is for Africa, B is for black, C is for culture. And that's where I'm at. What y'all think about that, baby? Is he a bad mother? You better shut your mouth for it, Jonathan. Jonathan, are you ready? Oh my God, wake up. I was walking down the street and I passed a man wearing a clapboard sign that said, the end is coming. And as I walked on by, I saw tears falling from his eyes and I thought, why should he cry? I kept on walking, and when I got to the park, I found that I too was crying. And for a lark, I screamed, what the hell do you mean? The end is coming! Isn't the end already here? We've got dead children in our schools, and our parents are acting like fools. Planes are falling in our skies. We know the Afghans will die, and American city curfews are making sure there's no terrorists nigh. And crying, I fell to my knees because on the news tonight, the people are killing each other live and, oh, time to stop. Because they want to advertise another commercial break selling me something that'll kill me. Why, why, why do we live this way? And the man on the clapboard sign still doesn't get it. The end came and went. We kept living our supersonic post-orgasmic shop till we dropped jet set. Me, 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 ultra chic. I have more than you. Money, money, money lifestyle. I realized that we all missed it. The innocence of New York. The innocence of America. Wake up! We are dying and killing and living and cloning and not communicating except through computers and email pagers and cell phones faster and faster every single day. And we like to see you smile fast food, but no time to talk now. Hey, you. Yeah, you in the back with the yuppie beer on tap with the smug smile. Did you hug anyone today? When was the last Kodak moment you had? Was it real or was it Memorax? Yeah, right. And you're so damn blasé about it. Ain't ya? Stop pretending you're alive. The news is not just a horrible nightmare that goes away at 6.30 p.m. and 11.30 p.m. every night when you turn off your TV. Forget about the 200 channels of pay-per-view violence. Forget about surfing past the starving children on TV ads, begging for food and money that remind me of the children I see every single fucking day. I drive through this embittered, embattled, subdivided, subdivision hell that we live in today. Wake the fuck up, humanity. Humanity, see what you lost. Adia meets her maker. He is a soft voice emanating as a, as a gas slams orange to a blind man. There is no one to listen. He holds a piece of virgin rosewood in his palm, traces the grain with his finger, follows with a smooth blade, taking shallow strokes. He's never longed for more, 
perfection than this raw rosewood's fulfilled potential. But being far, far away, I can't see this, so I say to Joe, the guy at the tattoo parlor, a tattoo of the beats on my lower back, please. Here's a sketch. I'm under an influence, but I haven't been drinking. And at some point, I've said to myself, come here, unaccustomed Buddha, relentless Zen, release me from this enraptured Christianity into which sad girls sometimes fall. The more I am deceived, the more I perceive just how desperate for a father I was. Lamb of God, I am shorn of snow whiteness every time I am touched insincerely or interrupted mid-song. Joe, this one on the right is Jack Kerouac, the father of the beats. I want to give everything beautiful inside me to anyone who will partake. Listen to the words, I know how they resound, as a sudden sound waking you, a pristine wave breaking sleep. This is the fastest man alive, Neil Cassidy. He died from exposure. Every time I meet a fellow human, I lay bare. Offer up the deepest muscle and memory they will swallow. I am the blood and the body of all who have touched me. The curves are subtle and have a softness cultivated craftsmen would appreciate. The color and given shape moved him. My body hot from bath blushes rosewood. The beats would be embarrassed until my body cools. Blush lifts and the men are breakers within this alabaster ocean of my back. I watch my face lit by candle in the steamy bathroom mirror. I can harness spirits all around, my burnished brunette crown. Allen Ginsberg is the one with bowed eyes. He's praying for me to be the truth. The consummate rosewood lay arched and had taken the shape of a mandolin. The maker does not know music, does not know the sound of his own voice. My name is Adia. It doesn't come from anywhere, sir. This fourth man is William S. Burroughs. If you touch my neck, I make a noise, almost inaudible, but I've seen the flash of recognition break a man's heated concentration. It's not a human sound, it doesn't turn you on, and the more beautiful it is for that, the idea such a noise could exist. If someone could hold me and sustain that single note, I'd be free from this body and could leave this faded table. Of course, I know a lot about these guys. They saw different truths in different ways. They were Buddhists for the most part and writers. Yes, I guess that's what I meant by influence. These men impact the words I lay down on the page. Adia alone recognize the beauty of the song you haven't sung. I've never tried to write a book. I have a story to tell, I laugh, but I don't think it'd sell. No one called for the making of this mandolin. He issued it unlabeled to a stranger, no return address. He wipes the blood away from my back. I hadn't felt the lashing of a thousand needles. The portrait lay welling lines. Would it be beautiful in this braille to a blind hand? Do you want to see? I want to go find a fast train and throw myself beneath it, so I do. The rumble of approach and the whine of horn were the thousand needles that whittled rosewood to perfection. He opened the box slowly. Inside were chunks of rosewood sent home. He wept and touched each piece with the father's fingers. Turning over a significant portion, he watched a portrait of four men weep. This rosewood radiated, and from a broken mandolin rose one clear note, jagged and ethereal as Bethlehem's star. A cry for father, Adia. Pen and paper, both for the poet are life savers. But you see these wealth constricting, self contradicting constitutions and academical abstracts and sit and end in peacekeeping treaties don't know. I attest that the rest of the lies many have tried to express using the commercial radio or press don't even touch what I want to get off my chest. I'm saying, look, listen, and feel. The emotion, meaning, and vibrant zeal of the poem, you know them. My mother wrote it. My brother wrote it. We write it and cite it in everyday speech. And me and you reach into the soul. There's no tax or toll on expression. Secession of self into the health of our encompassed being. Seeing the right and the wrong, the strong and the weak. Shit, y'all, I'm chilling in the city where the meek run the streets. And in that city, I grant forgiveness for that ignorance and penance for those thoughts and actions of those factions that create hate. 
The yells, the screams, the stereotyping reams, spit landing in my eye. I wonder why and where since ideologies are being prepared. Care enough, and this might sound like some ill-ass stuff, but beware enough that hate begets retaliating, rough rant and rage. But like this country's constitution and other man-made treaties, my page don't have resolution for those needy wanting the immediate solution. Why was I born poor? Why were they born rich? Shit, y'all, we all in a ditch needed to once again enrich that polity of equality. Leave no one behind, that year's rhetoric said, because the blood that binds rides through all our veins as red. And know that hours, days, and weeks of hateful pains left outcasts dead. The faint, <clears throat> the faint truth be it's of great significance and of immense consequence that we as one amongst others in collective existence cherish. Because folks to this day continue to perish. Slowly, acculturation still in many places lead to segregation and stratified faces. The negation of tolerance I fight. I write and childhood thoughts play back. Hey, nigga! Get your ass out of this white county in this white country and go the fuck home, you monkey. Said to my mother, you got something to say? Don't hide behind bathroom stalls and tenement hall walls. Said in my space, said in my face, said against my race, ethnicity, orientation, religion, or original nation. Identity, knowledge, understanding, appreciation, love, and pride coincide within one within us all but where we at on break or on call let me come out please and I'll tell you these eyes this beating heart are a part of you whether you like it or not we all occupy a lot in each other's soul apart from the whole within at the same time we are a tune or sampling everyone's rhyme chiming in now and then some bring unspeakable acts and others plastic grins but the earth and her trees allowing us to breathe will leave us to our socially constructing self-destructing money-making life-taking schemes closed-minded blinded selves ignore the potential of the books on my shelves so i delve in and experience that adherence to my heart my inner voice because i know i'm still left with that choice blood can ride through my pop the collar vein or veins Full of flowing, constraining pain or sustaining philosophies, because catastrophes we've already suffered. The castration of roots begot the colonization by heathenistic brutes. Slavery, empowered insurrection, is forced to epitomize bravery, gravy of a holocaust, life inhumanely lost. And know that we have hate to thank for all these costs of humanistic atrophy. But come back to me, the here and now, the Y2K of still never knowing how. Living and never finishing, our beings need replenishing when questioning answers like cures to mankind's literal metaphorical aids and cancers. But as rudimentarily rhythmic souls, we are all dancers. So try and take a chance and balance on that simple dualistic stance. Love or hate? What will your being emanate and eliminate? This is what a time penalty looks like. This is called holy terror. When I was 18, I wanted to die at the age of 130 in bed with three women of terminal exhaustion. But that seeming a little unlikely, I wanted to die in searing agony, like in a burning race car, short and severe, because you only get one chance to die in this lifetime, so it might as well be intense. I want the kind of death that will make all future incarnations of humanity who are formed even using even a fraction of my spirit interesting in a way that 90 years of psychotherapy and lobotomizing medicine can't begin to touch. <laughs> and the real tragedy to me is that not everyone in those skyscrapers and jetliners had the same attitude. They may not have received the deaths, that, the deaths they imagined for themselves, but how many people do you know who even live the lives they imagined having? I imagine that I'll be lucky enough that if I ever become a victim of aerial terrorism, that I'll be in a plane filled with that select club who greet the announcement of their hijacking with hysterical laughter, where the hijackers are the appetizers, and all the prayers run to, Dear God, let me stuff that knife up his ass. And if nobody knows how to land the plane, maybe we could crash it into an empty football stadium. And don't try and tell me that would be a tragedy. If I ever fall victim to terrorism, it would be too late. So I'll tell you how I feel about it now. First, do not use me to further your own political or religious agenda because I didn't die for it. 
Remember me as well as you'd remember anyone who's died of natural disaster because this present war to end terrorism won't. But if anyone wants to wave the flag in your face and talk about how I died for one nation under God, or conversely, that I died for my sins or the sins of the country, I want you to slap them hard until they achieve true enlightenment. If you're prone to monuments, make mine a patch of wilderness with no option to buy. If you really feel, though, that you need to keep a bunch of stone carvers employed, make my monument a giant lizard with an even bigger erection, covered with obscene Celtic knotwork, with the inscription down below, Jehovah's Go Home, with a map of Jerusalem. But... If you're predisposed to revenge, sure, avenge my death, but here are the conditions. Prove who's responsible and show the proof to the world. Fight your way through the guards of the perpetrators, the instigators, and kill them with your own hands. And let them know it's from me and you for the crime of terminating some people's attempts to live positive lives. If you kill all their kinfolk or nuke their cities or their holy places, don't you dare claim it in my name. And if you can't abide revenge that you have to work for, forget it and hold a big party instead. For this, too, will fight against tight-ass religious bigots. The odds are good that it will never happen. But if I ever fall to terrorism and you go to avenge me, do it with the force of law behind you and not as part of a lynch mob. I won't ask you to love them, but at least do it without hatred. Do not flinch, even if they wear an American flag pin on their suit, because resisting right-wing religious bigots begins at home. Even if it seems like it would be appropriate to set them on fire and crush them under a 10-ton concrete mallet or fling them to earth at 500 miles per hour, don't. Take them quickly and cleanly and mercifully. Send them to me. I'll be waiting for them at the base of the rainbow or the gates of hell, the anti-bodhisattva. Waiting for them with a big hug and a big plate of fried squid and pork chops and a beer. We'll have all the time we need to work out our differences. Don, plug your ears, and everybody else, I think I'm going to change the tone of this a little bit. This is called Foot Fetish. Oh, I wish you were a little smelly toe. Oh, I wish you were a little smelly toe. I'd let you tickle and tantalize between my warm and velvet thighs. Dream about it fantasize. Oh, I wish you were a little smelly toe. <sighs> Silly, I know. I am enticed by a big toe. To think a digit of such simplicity has the capacity to create such electricity. I no longer have the ability to stand. Your toe has captured my mobility, and my feet respond to your toe's advances, and my Head says, stop this now. There is no romance in toes or feet. They are meant to help you stand tall and true, to be discreetly clad in woolly socks and heavy shoe. Feet are certainly not attractive. So why do I feel such an active neon lust when your big toe touches mine? I must touch it back. Though I know I should let it go, I cannot. Or maybe you will not. I love your big toe. Is this a case of too little being too much? Who cares? I revel in your toe's caresses, its touch. My mind again interrupts and moves my foot so that it will not meet yours. And it tells me that I should not hold much store in tender rubbing that leads to nothing more. So. I'll thank you for this little interlude that has given me a whole new attitude about toes 
especially big toes. Oh, I wish you were a little smelly toe. Oh, I wish you were a little smelly toe. I'd let you tickle and tantalize between my warm and velvet thighs. Dream about it, fantasize. Oh, I wish you were a little smelly toe. Ooh, baby. Are you on drugs? Pay attention. Are you high? I used to get that a lot, even before the Reagan era race war, thinly disguised as drug war, made it okay to ask, are you a drug user? No, I just look like the actors who play them on television. You ignorant big fucker. I never found the presence of mind to say no because I've been living my life in a God's damned fog and I'm terrified to make it any thicker. I wished in vain for a long rebuttal details I've seen of the class warfare atrocity called a drug war. Clear memories that sank into the muddy waters of my mind waiting for retrieval like bodies in a bog. And I know that with enough stillness I'd see every awful detail frozen in crystal, but I'm no mountain lake. I've fallen, become the snowmelt rush and babbling stream of youth, the slow, polluted river of middle age, silt-filled and dense from the harness of work, the waterwheel ghosts of my hometown channeling me to their purpose and damn the consequences. They'll only surface downstream. A lost feeling that I should have resisted, followed my own course, but it's in the nature of water to yield, soak it up, to disperse the shit of others until life becomes one fluid, stinking, opaque mass. Was I on drugs? Alcohol, caffeine, alcohol, caffeine, caffeine, caffeine. No, I was not on drugs! Except for a brief period when I used crank to work more hours to buy more crank to work more. Yes, there is a grim satisfaction in polluting yourself before someone else can. And what the hell does this have to do with finding out in middle age that I have attention deficit disorder? <laughs> now I understand the question, are you on drugs? No, fuckers, I've been under the influence of a working class genetic curse and it's like being mildly sedated 24-7, 365 through an advanced process of centuries-long eugenics that helps me put my nose to the grindstone, never looking to right or left where I might notice my shrinking horizons, a dull job that hid from me how most of my bosses have done an awful lot of fucking off on the job. And I was not on drugs, but what the hell did they care as long as I could work? Now, I am on drugs. And it's like waking up to find that I'm the indentured servant, to notice other murky waterways running beside me to register how many times the boss came down in the evenings to piss on us. Every tiny bitter tablet falls on me like a raindrop, cleans and purifies the muck of my life. And yes, mine are legal. But legal or not, how dare you judge anyone for using drugs if it gives them even one tiny scrap of clarity? I note these days how the big houses always seem to be built beside the water. And I know, rich man, down around the bend you are waiting for me to do your bidding, but I am finally on drugs, and you will rue the day I pay attention. There are levees ahead and a mighty swelling at my back and I sense more clearly a straighter path to the sea. My lungs are all these songs being sung with verses of words coming from a saving sun and all other spiritualistic tongues who embody the force of creation. May we forever remember the image of our sacred hearts, pulsating life entrapped by a thicket of thorns, emitting light beyond the hegemonic horns of a society that scorns liberating piety. Let ocular proof of faith be the fate of me, you, he, and she who might pray to release the night's pain. After having experienced another day full of racist rain where I had to read about another one of my brothers and sisters slain in vain for being plain and simply a person of you, who knew of the evil and couldn't conclude to commit any other course of action if it wasn't a coup. 
Would you really be down for a holy war fitment inflicting wounds upon seven generations more that haven't been born? Higher Ed, AKA, stores of thought that charge out of state tuition for the knowledge I just bought taught me to work within the system, but its condition not only bores me, but employs me to defy the authority and follow God's law. You see, humanity in that raw understanding has me handing my hands to the next pair with a sincere care for their cosmos. As hosts of flesh, what happened to recognizing our holiness? Do you know how lonely life gets trying to worship in a community of deceivers? The unity of believers like sustaining pain relievers are hard to find, so little children like myself lie attempting to kill themselves as often as they kill time. You see, prodigal sons and daughters are born every second of the day, but are led astray from the womb of love when learning to consume society's ways and waste blood like it was water in North America. Rivers of life flow throughout each and every vein, yet many are left unjustifiably damned and drained. This is how the evil on us on days like the 4th of July and Thanksgiving compete with sin and win. This is why my people have the driest skin, so to cope, we soak in copious amounts of freedom-scented jergens. In all mothers and fathers, amen. In all sons and daughters, amen. In all holy spirits, amen. In me, amen. In you, amen. In a pew, amen. Plans in prayer, but the commitment to his cares fade as fast as that priest's hair grays. You see, I've seen faith in a family of four, gratifyingly asking the Lord to bless the shared dinner only 74 cents could afford. Being baptized in a raging storm of reflection, drops of holy water moisturized my soul, dilated my eyes, and in a mirror I saw the expanse of ancestral strength behind depressing looking skies and thought that had to be heaven. But down here amongst the fears, down here amongst the tears is heaven within or above selfless acts of socially applied love. In an Ann Arbor courtroom I approached the bench and asked the judge, I said, your honor, what might loving who you try mean? He screamed, whether or not I love isn't at stake, so while one's fate may be burned at it, he just tells me to present my case. So as that judge and those jurors chase words for reason as recklessly as officer Stephen, I run red lights, chase my defendants' faces in stereotypish, suspicious sights, I pray to appeal this death sentence in complex, perpetuating verdict that doesn't seem real. But transcending legalities deal. Divinely given freedom, systems will never steal. Transcending legalities deal. Divinely given freedom, systems will never steal. So don't think for a second I yield to man-made signs of direction. Because those are the kinds that left us enslaved, interned, and killed because of complexion in the first place. I've learned that amazing grace is the ability to embrace. So forever, forever hold on to that place that empowers you to be your own and your creator's gift to humanity. six miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it.